0: On this week's episode of the 1086-108 podcast, we're going to talk about a Georgia officer who was arrested for murder, a true living legend, the sad news of our line of duty deaths, and new additions to the You Can't Make This Stuff Up right here on the 1086-108 podcast. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of the 10 10 1086-108 Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Lee Alexander. And I'm Matt Taylor. And we welcome you. Thank you for joining us here. We're going to talk about some good stuff today. Uh, we're going to start... Uh, you say good? Yeah, well, entertaining. How's that? that? Okay. Is that a better way of putting it? Murder's not good. No, murder's not good. Uh, but catching the murderer is good. Yes. 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 So uh, we're going to start with a story about a Georgia police officer who uh, was arrested for murder. Hang on.
1: So this didn't
0: happen in Florida. No, right? We're winning. (laughs) But very close. (laughs) I see. Yes. Earlier this month, a Doraville, Georgia police officer was arrested for the murder of a 16-year-old girl. The girl, Susanna Morales, went missing on July 26th of 2022. Her disappearance had been a mystery until the remains were discovered earlier this month in an area 20 miles from her home. One of the key pieces of evidence found near her body was a gun found to belong to Miles Bryant of the Doraville Police Department. On February 13th, Bryant was arrested for the murder and immediately fired. He's currently being held in the Gwinnett County Jail. So I guess, I'm assuming, the story didn't say anything, but I'm assuming there were, there's additional evidence other than just the gun. Because the story did state they didn't think she was had been shot with the firearm. How many times have you lost your gun? Um...
1: <laughs> <laughs> i don't think i've ever lost a gun now i have some people or know some people who've actually pawned their gun yes no and and others who've actually misplaced their gun
0: okay i was gonna say when you point you really don't lose it you know where it's at
1: well you lose your job when you pawn your
0: gun yes that's but that's a different thing
1: subsequently losing that gun yes all right
0: causes you they don't have any cause of death No, uh, they didn't, uh, because of the fact her body was so decomposed, they had not yet come up with a uh, cause of death.
1: Wow, that's unfortunate. 16,
0: huh? Yeah, 16 years old. Wow. That's a shame. What do we got next?
1: Um, Here's a, I I don't know how to to describe this. This is like a real true hero in my book. Um, It's unfortunate he's passed away. But the, uh, the longest-serving police officer dies is the title. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got to take a moment to talk about the passing of a true civil servant, Deputy Bill Hardin, of the Johnson County Sheriff's Office, passed away on February 17th of uh, this year, actually. Um, Bill was the longest-serving and oldest law enforcement officer in the world. He was 99 years old. Um, And at the excuse me, he was 99 years at the time of his death and started his law enforcement career in February of 1947.
0: That's like 76 years ago.
1: Wow. Um, With the four. Actually, he started with the Fort Worth Police Department. He later served with the Tarrant County Sheriff's Office. And finally, he spent his last 28 years of his career with the Johnson County Sheriff's Office. Uh, A Facebook post by the Johnson County Sheriff's Office stated, um, Bill was a true living legend, the oldest and longest running police officer uh, in the world. Uh, But more than that, he was a brother, a friend. Um, Bill never failed to share his knowledge with the new deputies and was always ready with a handshake and a smile. His presence within the walls of this agency will be truly missed. But his legacy will never die. He will be remembered forever. Rest in peace. We will take uh, take the watch from here.
0: That's I can't even fathom that seventy six years.
1: Yeah, that's some serious dedication.
0: That that truly truly is. And and when I saw a picture of him. It's like he doesn't look ninety nine years old. No, no, he doesn't. Um, and very trim, very fit. His his uniform was just immaculate. Really, um, kind of reminded me of you. Stop. You know, with ironing your t shirts and things like that.
1: So the the unfortunate part about it, the story is we don't know the cause of death. Right. Um, but obviously, um, at ninety nine years old, there might be. Um, medical reasons or just age. But you know what? That's awesome. Thank you to him and his family, man.
0: Yes, God bless him and rest in peace. Right. All right, since uh, we're on the subject of officers passing, let's go ahead and uh, talk about the line of duty deaths for this week. Um, Correctional Officer Jay Miller of the Washington State Department of Corrections was 52 years old. His end of watch uh, came on February 11th, when he died from complications of COVID-19, which he contracted while working at the Washington Corrections Center for Women. He was also an Army veteran, and he had served for 31 years. Wow. I mean, that's just, man, that's, that's tough. was that really tough. Uh, Police Officer Jeffrey Red of the Memphis Police Department was 49 years old, and he had served with the department for 15 years. His end of watch came on February 18th. Officer Red succumbed to gunshot wounds he had received two weeks earlier while responding to a suspicious person call. Officer Red, along with uh, other officers, had responded to a nearby business regarding a trespasser. Approximately 30 minutes later, the subject became involved in an altercation with a citizen inside a local library. Officer Red and another officer approached the subject outside of the library when the subject drew a firearm and began shooting at the officers. Officer Red was shot and critically wounded while the other officer was able to return fire and kill the subject. Officer Red had previously been severely injured in the line of duty when he was struck by a vehicle and he was out of work for quite a while uh, during his rehab and had not long returned to work. Um, officer Red had also served his country as a U.S. Marine, so he was a dedicated individual to his country and community. Wow. Next, we have police officer Christopher Fitzgerald of the Temple University Police Department. He was 31 years old and had served with the department for two years, and his end of watch occurred on February 18th. Officer Fitzgerald was uh, on patrol when he spotted three men in masks in an area where recent robberies had taken place. Officer Fitzgerald exited his patrol car to make contact with them when they fled on foot. Officer Fitzgerald gave chase to one of the subjects and ended up in a physical altercation. The subject was able to draw a firearm and shoot Officer Fitzgerald several times. The killer attempted to steal Officer Fitzgerald's duty weapon, belongings, and patrol car before carjacking a citizen several blocks away. Officer Fitzgerald was transported to Temple University Hospital where he succumbed to his wounds. The killer was arrested the next day at his residence in Bucks County, PA. And just as a side note in this story, uh, this young officer's father's also also chief of police for a local, I believe it was called a district tra- district transportation police department there in Pennsylvania. So it's a family, and that's got to be tough.
1: Right. You know, and then a couple of segments ago, um, we talked about, foot pursuits and stuff like that. And the dangers of them. Yeah, sure did.
0: Yeah. That's an example of what happens.
1: That's unfortunate, man. It's a young guy. Yeah. Damn it. it.
0: It's tough. And then finally, we have Detention Officer Kenneth Fowler of the Pontatec County Sheriff's Office. Um, He was 52 years old and had served with the agency for five years. Officer Fowler died as a result of injuries he received when he slipped on the ice while working at the Pontotic County Justice Center. He was transported to the hospital in Oklahoma City, suffering from head injuries and hypothermia. He remained in a medically induced coma until he passed on February 19th. Wow. Wow. You never know where it's going to come from.
1: Hey, you know what? Back when I was working, my gear totaled weight was right at 29 pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't include the active shooter vest or anything like that. The active shooter vest is another 20 pounds for a, a, a person to fall and hit their head and to succumb to that. That's I don't know what it, we don't know what he's wearing. We don't have any other details, mm-hmm. but um, that's that's just unfortunate, man. Yeah. Just because the show that tomorrow's never given a given.
0: Absolutely. Especially in that line of work. Um, our. Prayers go out to the friends, families, and co-workers of all these officers, and we ask you to take a moment of silence in recognition of their sacrifice. All right, thank you. And uh, their uh, sacrifice will never be forgotten.
1: All right, so um, let's talk about a group called the Bail Project. The
0: Bail Project.
1: Yeah, this is a group that has chapters in many cities, and their purpose is to provide bail money to minorities who have been arrested and can't afford bail. All right. So in theory, this doesn't sound so bad if the group has done its due diligence before bailing offenders out. Right. However, this is the weird part about it. Uh, there are only two requirements is you must be a minority and unable to pay your bail. Um, according to the crimes, what crimes these guys of girls have committed um, or allegedly had committed does not matter to them.
0: Oh, yeah, I remember that. That's a perfect example is a case of a guy named Samuel Scott and his wife, uh, Marcia Johnson. Samuel Scott beat his wife and threatened to kill her. As a result, she reported the incident to police. Now, this was not the first time that Samuel Scott had done that. Mm-hmm. A warrant was issued for his arrest for a fourth degree misdemeanor. What is that? Um, almost a non-existent crime, what? I guess. Do
1: we know what state that's in? Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> um, Man, that's a lot of degrees and misdemeanors. Yes,
0: no kidding. Right. But it's a fourth degree misdemeanor and a charge of domestic abuse. He he was later arrested on the charge, and the presiding judge gave him the lowest bond possible, five hundred dollars. However, Scott was unable to- Hang
1: on. $500 for domestic battery? Yeah. Bond. Bond. All right.
0: Yeah. So, uh, Scott was unable to pay the bail. Well, lo and behold, here comes the bail project. Um, This organization stepped in and paid his bail since he met their two requirements. But within 45 (laughs) minutes of being bailed out, Scott went to his residence and killed his wife. Wow. Just like he said he was going to. Uh, he was again arrested and eventually convicted of first-degree murder and given life in prison. Did they, they didn't bail him out on that? No, apparently not. Hmm. Surprise, surprise. Um, different sides have been pointing fingers as to whose fault it was uh, that Marsh is now dead. In reality, I mean, you can't argue. It's Sam Scott's fault. He committed the murder. However... Different parties played a part in that situation. So so,
1: just for clarification, he got a $500 bond mm-hmm. for domestic battery. Right.
0: Who? What fucking state is this? I don't know. We're going to have to find out. Holy shit. We'll let the listeners know. Well,
1: there's the beginning of the problem. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I don't get it.
0: I don't either. But uh, had the the bail project not paid Scott's bail, there may have been a different outcome. The executive director of the bail project said that they're not at fault for the killing as they are there to help those that financially can't help themselves.
1: Stop. Help those that can't help themselves. But you have to be a minority. Yes. Okay.
0: And that's what it continues to say, says it can't help themselves due to the racism in the system. The the group's statement says, We believe that paying bail for someone in need is an act of resistance against a system that criminalizes race and poverty and an act of solidarity with local communities and movements for decarceration. Um, The the ignorance of this executive director is just unbelievable but she because she goes on to state bail is not necessary to ensure people return to court and we won't stop until meaningful change is achieved and the presumption of innocence is no longer for sale let's talk about this one
1: this is fucked up at so many levels dude let again <laughs> I'm still baffled about the $500 bond for for domestic battery.
0: Right. See, that goes back to the issue of there's different parties that have responsibility in this. First, it's the the prosecutor for charging such a low charge. Right. Okay. Second, it's the presiding judge who chose to give this guy the lowest bail possible in in a situation where not only did he strike his wife— but he said he was going to kill her. So,
1: is this just a racial thing? I, I, I'm I'm blown away by this because none of the laws have the word minority and stuff like that. I, I, I
0: Absolutely, to... it, it, it. I have never seen or heard of a bail. Uh. Hearing where they said, okay, excuse me, what's the race of the defendant? Oh, let me look it up. Oh, it's three hundred for this race and two hundred for this race and a hundred for this race. It doesn't. It, it goes off the crime. That is what the bail amount is set for. Now, some states allow judges a certain leeway mm-hmm. on, on on some, uh, but some states don't. It's this. This is your bond. Um, so I, I'm at a real loss for this because an entity and, and there are other entities like the bail project, but this story of Samuel Scott is not the only instance where this bail project has had people they've bailed out turn around and go kill people or set buildings on fire or do serious bodily harm to their original victims. Uh, and several of the chapters have actually closed down because of such circumstances mm-hmm. because they don't take time. they don't care what the person is charged with. Their position is bail should not exist, right? because it is it is uh, discriminatory against, you know, race different races and, uh, those of low uh, income. I,
1: I got to throw this in there. A broke motherfucker is a broke motherfucker. <laughs> if I got arrested, I probably couldn't
0: make bail. That, exactly. It, and they're not going to come run and bail you out. No. Okay. Uh, Bail's there for a reason. Um, now, the the executive director of this likes to say, well, um, if they had money, then they'd be able to bail him out, and he'd have been out on the street anyhow if he'd had the money. Okay, but he didn't. And most, in most cases, you have the money to bail yourself out. Uh, I'm sure it happens, but it's not a frequent event where the person runs right back out and commits the crime. Right? Uh, they've got too much to lose. If you're impoverished, you don't have so much to lose.
1: Wealthy people and broke people. And middle class people all die the same. Exactly. (laughs) I don't get it. You
0: know, one thing I will say that I agree with the bail project on is there needs to be a overhaul of the criminal justice system. Not the way they think. Right. My opinion is a bail should be higher, (laughs) and some crimes there should be no simply just no bail. Right. Period. because I'm, I've kind of gotten tired over the years of, you know, individual rights. Don't get me wrong. Individual rights are very important. Mm-hmm. But public safety, the safety of the community, simply because you as a killer or domestic abuser have the money to bail out doesn't override... The safety of the community in which you will reside. Mm-hmm. No, okay? I agree, hundred percent. Yeah, the, what is it? The uh, what's that Star Trek reference? The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one. Mm-hmm. But we don't follow that. Now,
1: our country has become so pussified.
0: It's liberal. It's the liberal. Okay, pussified. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, come on. Why the hell is this guy out on five hundred dollars bond to start with? Absolutely. And who? What kind of judge would allow that? It's domestic
0: violence, dude. A liberal, bleeding heart judge. Hmm. We have way too many of those in this country, and that's what our problem is.
1: Well, it's unfortunate that that's that's the whole system's fucked up.
0: It is. All right. Well, you know that's kind of. Got my blood pressure up. So let's talk about something funny. <laughs> let's do some you can't make this shit up. What do you got for us this week?
1: So um, we'll start this one off as uh, it's normally you would plan if you're going to commit a robbery, right?
0: Right. Yeah, You've got to be smart.
1: Yeah. Well, this dipshit didn't. And uh, and in doing so, he actually tries to rob a gun store with a baseball bat. Uh,
0: That's not a smart thing to do.
1: He didn't win. He didn't plan. So when he walks in with the baseball bat, they drew their guns, the employees, and yeah. held him at gunpoint until law enforcement arrived. Until so the cops arrived.
0: All right. Well, that's what's the old saying, uh, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. Exactly. Yes. Uh, no
1: good for him. No nope. loser. Now And then, this one, this guy goes to a muffler shop and attempts to rob it. Um, the clerk. Uh,
0: I mean, that's a typical place you'd go rob, right? A sure. A muffler shop. Muffler. Why not? We do steel mufflers or what?
1: You know, those Cadillac converters <laughs> I hear pay well.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, the guy got run over <laughs> trying to steal one the other day. But go ahead.
1: <laughs> but uh, this guy goes to a muffler shop and demands the money. He was told that most cash is stored in a safe mm-hmm. and that the manager is the only person who has access to the safe and wouldn't be available for a couple more hours. I guess the scheduling. I guess. So, this dipshit, <laughs> he leaves his cell number and tells the clerk to call when the manager returns. So, the store prepares, uh, the muffler shop prepares by, A, calling law enforcement first. Then, um, this guy, they call this guy and he returns.
0: He actually comes back to the store. No,
1: this is a real mental job. Oh, yeah,
0: he's, a, he's wonderful.
1: But it gets better, right? So... When he comes back, he notices the police were waiting for him and engages in a brief shootout with him <laughs> before he was eventually arrested. Wow. Think about this one, dude. Seriously. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> this guy shouldn't be. No. 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 All right. Um, let's do one more. Okay. Okay. So this guy in an unnamed juvenile uh, goes to Roth A. Bank in Fairfield, Connecticut um uh, and in doing so they call ahead and tell the teller hey listen we're coming to rob the bank have the money ready <laughs> who does this shit
0: by any chance are they related to the guy at the muffler shop
1: twins twins I th- <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right
1: so he shows up
0: he actually shows up at the bank.
1: He shows up at the bank. Wow. Um, obviously, he was locked up. Yes. What the fuck was he thinking?
0: <laughs> well, obviously, he
1: wasn't. So at least, at, that's at least two, now three, if you include the unnamed juvenile. Right. No. Dude, they shouldn't even be out. They shouldn't be able to walk and talk without guidance.
0: Well, I'm kind of curious if they actually can. No. Wow.
1: This is stupid shit you really can't make up.
0: Yeah, you can't make this shit up. I don't care how you try. I mean, you can even write that in Hollywood.
1: Yeah, I'm out. Wow. So that's, that's uh can't make this shit up.
0: All right. So that's it? Yeah. All right. Well, I guess that'll wrap it up for us here this week. We want to thank everyone for joining us here again. And remind you to visit our website at www.1086108podcast.com. Or if you have any comments or suggestions, please email us at 1086108podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Also, I want to take a moment to give a shout out to some of our favorite podcasts and YouTube channels. This will be kind of like a regular part of our show in order to help spread the word about the great work being done by so many content creators. This week, our shout outs go to Ashley Flowers and her thrilling podcast, Crime Junkies. Ashley immerses you in her stories of true crime. She's able to help you actually visualize the case as she speaks. So do yourself a favor and give a lesson to Crime Junkies, which is available on Google Podcasts. Hmm. Next shout out goes to a family with two YouTube channels.
1: What say that again? Two
0: YouTube two, two YouTube channels two youths
1: here. or oh, two YouTube.
0: Over here. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel and DJ Arms from Arms Family Homestead and Do Your Best. Their stories revolve around their lives operating their small farm and all the trials and tribulations that go with it. Uh, Daniel's a former Oklahoma State trooper who took the plunge into the world of full-time content creation to be soon followed by his wife, DJ, and the antics of her family of mini donkeys.
1: Donkeys. Little mini donkeys. So this guy was a trooper now he... Patrol's donkeys. Donkeys.
0: And they're all named like <laughs> Phoebe, Farah, and things like that. That's cute. Yes. Give this family a watch. You won't be disappointed. Well, that'll do it for us this week. And uh, hope to have everyone back next week right here on the 1086, 108 podcast. Have a
1: good week, everybody.